following podcast is for informational purposes only. The contents of this podcast do not constitute tax, legal, or investment advice. Take responsibility for your own decisions, consult with the proper professionals, and do your own research. And, and, and this is the reason why I love the graph so much, because it's, it's, it's so different than anything else. And it's always, you always have something new to learn. You always find things to, uh, to do, things to improve, things to, um, to work on. Operation Stake Squid, Payne has been instrumental at both the Graph Foundation and Edge and Node in various roles, including QA. I've had the fortune of having Payne on the podcast before as a panelist on the Subgraph Migration Panel and on the Curation Launch Panel, but this is the first time I get to speak with Payne one on one and ask about his background and vision for the Graph. Our conversation with Payne covers a lot of timely topics including not only his ideas on the topic of keeping stake decentralized, but the mechanisms by which he would do it. We also talk about curation, his experience with the new core dev teams, and so much more. As always, we started the conversation talking about Payne's professional and educational background. Well, I started my university in Bucharest as an industrial engineering did three years out of four, dropped out at the fourth year. Didn't quite like it. And one of the reasons why I did that was because I found crypto and blockchain. And I've became very interested in that and also got basically a job as a researcher in in a small company that was uh, focused on investing. So I continued with that for, I think, almost a year. And then I... Started a career in trading. In the meantime, I was basically learning every single day. And yeah, I started a career in trading, been on my own basically for like another year and a half. And then I, I was just approached by a couple of, uh, a couple of friends of mine that were running Crypto Caliber, which is a media company basically researching writing reviews and and research papers on on crypto uh, projects and i've been with them for for a while and within that company i met sebastian and yeah we basically started the stake squid we both had some experience he more than i do i started learning as fast as i could where are you currently located i'm currently living in romania I've been here my whole life. I've been born and raised here. Trying to travel a bit, but uh, yeah, with with all the coronavirus stuff, uh, it it wasn't fun uh, lately. What can you tell us about the people of Romania's attitude towards crypto? We have a big community here. I I think 
probably one of the reasons being inflation, but it's not that crazy as compared to like, let's say Argentina or, or Brazil. But um, there's a lot of people that have been introduced to crypto via Elrond. Not sure if you know the project, but it's a, it's a layer one. I don't think that's EVM compatible. But yeah, it's been, uh, Elrond is a Romanian project that was, um, I think they, they, they started in, in 2018. I was basically in one of their very first conferences. They were literally just, just bootstrapping that project and looking for investment back then. It was fun. So yeah, I think most of the people came in contact with crypto via them. So what motivates somebody who's doing research and trading in crypto to become an indexer? I know I've been all over the place, which is, which is weird, but it really helped because, especially on research side, because I, I knew exactly what the graph was doing. I knew exactly what it was useful for and why people would actually use something like this. You and your co-founder at Stake Squid. How did you first get involved in non-custodial staking services? Um, yeah, so his name is Sebastian. He's been a computer scientist for like most of uh, his life, and it was it was running stuff by his own because he he didn't have I think anyone to uh, to be on his side, and yeah, it was just uh, it was it was learning, playing around running a bunch of validators. I forgot which nodes. He also ran miners. So he definitely had tons of experience. And I, I, I saw him doing it. He was, he was talking in our, our internal chat. And I was like, hey, um, can, I, can I do this with you? <laughs> and then, yeah, basically, that, that, was the, that was the story. Do you remember when you first became aware of the graph and, and what drew you to the project? Yeah, so we found out about the graph uh, a couple of months after the, the the company was formed, we couldn't engage in the community or in the um, stuff that they were building. But eventually, Sebastian found a blog post last summer in July uh, that basically opened up the um, testnet for indexers. And we also like back in the day, we 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 had a bunch of experience that we thought it was it was enough. For us to uh, to jump in, it was definitely not. <laughs> we definitely learned so much, so much new stuff. Uh, but yeah, we jumped in. We had a blast. Uh, I was I was very um, intrigued and hooked up by the community and by the project and by what everyone was doing. Uh, so I kept grinding and learning new stuff and helping other people understand the network. Uh, and understand how uh, how the uh, different roles of the protocol work, and yeah, that's that's kind of the story. How did you get involved with the Graph team? I think it was November last year or uh, late October. I had a DM from from Yaniv. He was he said like, "Hey, do you have time to to jump on a call?" I said, "Yeah, why not?" I never spoke with him before, but. I was always keen on learning or speaking more with the founders because I was interacting on kind of daily slash weekly basis with Yanis in the um, chats of Discord during the testnet. So yeah, I, I jumped on a call with Yaniv and yeah, we, we, we chatted for like half an hour and then a couple of weeks later, another chat. 
and then I had my contract. So if you if you if you want to um, see exactly how those conversations evolved, uh, I highly recommend watching the ETHCC recording of Yaniv's panel. It was Yaniv and Eva talking about talking about these things in, in Paris. It's it's a very very interesting uh, very interesting uh, panel. I highly recommend it. And so you work on multiple networks with Stake Squid, not just the graph. You're at Solana, Avalanche, and uh, others. What do you do across these different networks? So yeah, we, we we run we run validators for I believe it's nine different uh, networks or protocols. Uh, we're currently in the works of adding two more uh, in our portfolio. But I'm mostly me personally. I'm mostly focused on graph. Solana and Agoric. Sebastian has the rest. How is the graph different from some of these other networks you guys are working on? Oh man, <laughs> don't get me started. It's everything else is quite literally at this point, given that the, those those networks and protocols are quite old on the the market. Stuff like Solana, for example, is literally just you plug a few commands and you you press start and it magically works. For the graph, we try to do something similar by running, uh, like, like by having our Docker Compose stack that I think most of the network uses at night right now, but it's a lot more different. I don't know how to explain it. Like the, the graph has so many moving parts compared to like Solana, for example, right? In, in the graph stack, you have the graph node, which you can split it into two, the query and the index node. And then you have the index agent, the index service, the database or databases, depending on how much you want to scale or um, have redundancy and stuff. Um, it's a very complex system compared to, uh, to Mina, Solana, Avalanche and that sort of stuff. And, and, and this is the reason why I love the graph so much, because it's, it's, it's so different than anything else. And it's always... You always have something new to learn. You always find things to uh, to do, things to improve, things to um, to work on. I'm not aware if you know, but uh, recently I've been uh, working on the testnet repository. Uh, I had an advanced configuration uh, that was using as a separate branch, but now I integrated it into the main branch. And technically speaking, anyone that was running the old version before and upgrades now, uh, it be basically seamless upgrade. You don't need to to do anything manually. Just make sure that you have the right environment variables, which which is fun and it's it's a lot more configurable than the normal stack that we were running before, for example. And we we're planning to um, work on that going forward to make it even more robust and even to give people even more choices of configuration. So, for listeners that wouldn't be familiar with this idea of testnet repository, what is that? It's basically a GitHub page where you can view instructions uh, and download all the necessary software to basically spin up your graph node. So how is the graphs community different from some of the other protocols that StakeSquid works with? This is a very good question. Well, in the case of the graph, we have people from all the other networks that are contributing to the ecosystem. There are running, uh, there are building subgraphs. They are running their own nodes. And this is one part of the community that's very different because like 
yeah, I mean, on Solana, yeah, you have people building on Solana alone. But on the graph, you have people building on BSC, you have people building on Polygon. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a much more diverse community. So you mentioned earlier that there's a little bit more complexity in working at the graph than some of these other protocols. Can you explain what that complexity is and, and how it's different? Yeah. So um, the graph has so many moving parts. It, it has to make sure that everything runs well together and nothing breaks when whenever there's an update, right? And the fact that there's also a disparity between uh, the hosted service and the network uh, right now is also one of the complex parts because you have to make sure that whenever you upgrade the graph node, that doesn't break neither of the networks. Uh, I know eventually the hosted service will eventually be deprecated, but until there's feature parity, uh, I think that's still we're still going to have to deal with uh, this struggle. The graph is a very complex system. It needs to be very carefully designed and graded so that nothing breaks. From the perspective of a validator, again, it's it's a whole uh, architecture that you need to uh, design and run compared to Solana, which is just a single program, basically. So, Payne, one thing that makes you unique is the number of indexers you run at the graph. At the time of this recording, I believe it's five indexers. What can you tell me about running that many indexers at the graph? It's a bit tricky because, like, we one of the reasons why we're running this, uh, this many is that we couldn't combine the own stake from different vesting contracts into a single one. So we're forced basically to, to, to run multiple indexers. And this affects our profitability because each indexer will have uh, its own costs associated to um, semantic transactions on the network. So the more indexes that you run, the more you have to pay in uh, operational costs per month. Uh, and it's a tricky situation that uh, you, you have to make sure that you stay profitable if you're going to add more uh, indexers on chain. Well, in addition to operating that many indexers and being very involved in the graph community, you also work alongside the graph foundation. You've been featured on this podcast before as a panelist when the graph launched its curation program. And then early on, we had a panel about when we talked about the migration of subgraphs from hosted service to the mainnet. How would you describe your role or relationship with the Graph Foundation? Right. So my work is split between like working with the foundation and working with Edge and Node. I don't quite differentiate that much in between them, right? Like on the foundation, I don't really have a, a quite clear role, but in the on Edge and Node, I do help with QA. So I'm all over the place. I don't really have one single thing that I'm doing. I'm doing lots of things whenever I'm needed, basically. I'm, I jump on calls with uh, the uh, docs team. Uh, I jump on calls with uh, designers. I, uh, yeah, it's, I'm all over the place. I'm not really, I'm not really having a, a one single role. Why are you so involved in the graph and wear so many different hats? Well, I think one of the reasons why I'm so involved how I got into this spot is that I, I immediately once I joined the, the testnet last year in uh, in July was like I was I was hooked up by the tech by the community by everything so I just spent 12 to 18 hours a day uh, on on average 
basically just learning and being active and uh, experimenting and uh, doing all sorts of crazy things in the community and in the network so that I have accumulated some, I, I believe I could say that, past experience. So there's not too many people that know as much as I do without trying to brag too much. It's not even a brag, but it's just, I, I wish that it were some, like m many more people than with, with, with the knowledge that I have in a way. I don't know how to say it. So yeah, if you, if you think you have the knowledge to, um, join the Edge and Node team, yeah, just, I'm, I'm just letting you know that we're hiring a QA and support engineer on the US, I believe. So yeah, if you want to apply and uh, you need a link, uh, I can send it to you in DMs and over Discord or something. The GRTIQ podcast is made possible by a generous grant from the Graph Foundation. The Graph Grants program provides support for protocol infrastructure, tooling, dApps, subgraphs, and community building efforts. Learn more at the Graph.Foundation. That's the Graph.Foundation. Hi, this is GRTIQ. Over the last six months, I've released a new episode of the podcast every week with the intention of highlighting the stories and contributions of different members of the graph community and ecosystem. The podcast recently celebrated several milestones, including the release of our 25th episode. I could not have achieved these milestones without listeners like you, along with the incredible guests who have agreed to join me each week to help build and grow the graph community. Thank you. You can support this podcast by leaving a review, subscribing, or by sharing your favorite episodes on social media. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at GRT underscore IQ for clips of the podcast and other great information related to the graph. And you can access more information about the guests and this particular episode by visiting GRTIQ.com slash podcast. That's GRTIQ.com slash podcast. What is the role of QA? I know you'd mentioned that in our earlier panel we did with Nina and Juan discussing the launch of curation. What does the QA role do? Well, make sure that the product works. Um, that involves all the, all the features and all the uh, components of the Explorer as well as the um, studio. So just make sure that we don't have any bugs. If you find some, report them, make sure they're fixed, recheck after they're supposedly fixed, just to make sure that they are indeed fixed. And um, yeah, make sure that once those fixes make it to production, to recheck and make sure that they are again indeed fixed. So yeah, you need to have some kind of knowledge of the protocol so you can find edge cases, abuse the system and find problems before other people find them and uh, get stuck. For example, I don't know, delegation transactions not working or something. Just saying it as an example. As I mentioned, Payne, you joined me for a podcast we did a while ago when curation services went live at the graph. 
you, Nina, and Juan join me to talk about that important event. I want to kind of switch perspectives now and put you in the role of an indexer as we're now a month or more past the launch of curation services. What's your perspective of curation as an indexer? Man, it was chaotic in the beginning because everyone was seeing new subgraphs. Everyone was uh, signaling them and a couple of uh, a couple of hours later, unsignaling and shuffling GRT around the protocol, uh, which created basically a whole lot of chaos. And when I'm saying chaos is that the reason being is that the indexer rewards are distributed to the whole network uh, proportional to each subgraph's signal value on the network. And Whenever you have subgraphs having 100k signal now, 200k later, and 10k uh, in a day, you'll get people indexers to allocate to set subgraphs and basically be stuck on them subgraphs uh, until they sync those subgraphs up to chainhead so they can uh, close the allocations. So this this basically this whole chaos was that people were seeing uh, subgraphs that had lots of signal, they were allocating to them. And then hours later, they had zero signal because like people shuffled those GRTs into other subgraphs. And yeah, um, I definitely learned my lesson. I, I was forced to close, uh, I think, six or seven subgraphs with a so-called 0x0 zero zero, uh, proof of indexing. So I gave up my rewards, but that, w- that was only for, I don't know, less than 12 hours of uh, of waiting that uh, between the moment that I allocated and uh, when I closed the the uh, the allocation but uh, in the meantime um things have been stabilized a little bit there's not that much chaotic most of the signal has been um settled on promising subgraphs for example sushi and the uh, migration partners and the EIP 721 uh, and the other one, I forgot the name of it, um, which are legit subgraphs. And um, yeah, things are looking great again now. Hopefully it will uh, it will not be so volatile again because it's very, very time consuming and very frustrating both as an indexer and probably as a curator as well. What's your advice for any listener that's either thinking about or currently involved in curation, but just still learning it? Uh, curation is very, very hard because you have to both assess the probability of that subgraph to be used in the future and how much is that subgraph going to be used in the future. Because like 10% of the entire query fees that that subgraph generates will go to curators. But like if that subgraph won't have that many query fees, you won't, won't earn anything. And also, the earlier you are on the subgraph, the more shares you can you can uh, you can grab. So that's also you you have to like think fast and risk getting rug pulled or stay on the sidelines and eventually see that that subgraph will actually do something and you miss the train. And it's from 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 this perspective is uh, is very complicated and. Um, yeah, if you if you just want if you want a more passive role without so much risk as a curator, you, you will probably be uh, better to uh, 
to settle to be a uh, the delegator instead, in my opinion. One concept I really haven't understood is when curation launched, and you referenced this just a minute ago, there were some, I don't know if fake is the right word, but there were some non-legit subgraphs. I don't understand how that happened or why that happens. Are you able to explain that? Yeah, sure. So the network is permissionless. That means anyone can take any actions in the protocol without anyone blocking you from doing so, right? So some people saw that they can basically do that. And um, they forked legit subgraphs with legit code and they published them on the network, on their address, um, and immediately signaling them. So anyone that was coming after uh, said people would basically get uh, a lot less shares. So the, those people that basically published the subgraphs could get out on a profit. Uh, and uh, yeah, like I said, those subgraphs, the code of them, like the, the index data of their subgraphs was legit because most of them in the beginning were actual clones, forks of real production subgraphs. But obviously those weren't deployed by the, by the teams behind the subgraphs or who de- developed those subgraphs. There was just a bunch of, a uh, bunch of kids that, uh, tried to make some GRT on the network, yeah. So to better understand this, if I used the graph as a user, I have an DAP that I pull data and I write a subgraph. If someone forks that subgraph and deploys it and starts sending signal on it, does that mean I have to use theirs now or can I still use the original one I developed? What's the, what's the friction between the two? <laughs> That's a very good question. Yeah, so... Um... The way it works is that the code itself, when you compile it, it gets uh, it gets written into an IPFS hash. That's a basic. Uh, that's a hash of the code of the exact code. All the letters in the uh, subgraph YAML file, all the letters in the mappings file, and stuff like that, all gets compiled into a single line of uh, twenty-four characters or something like that, and. I, the idea is that if you don't want to use someone else's code, you just modify one letter and you, you have a totally new subgraph that sh- which hasn't been heard of in the network. So you just publish that uh, signal on it and it's yours. So uh, if you if you do that, you also have control over how you upgrade that subgraph uh, in the in the event that you need more functions in it. Or if that subgraph fails, it's only the creator of the subgraph that is able to upgrade or modify the data inside that subgraph. So Payne, I really like your advice for listeners who might not have the comfort level or the knowledge to participate in the graph as a curator, that they can still participate in the form of being a delegator. If you were to give advice to listeners that are new to the graph or are new to delegating, what would your advice be for them? First of all, APY doesn't mean anything if your indexer doesn't know what he's doing. Second of all, decentralization is very important. So you should be scrolling down more than just a few, the, the first 10 people on the network. Third of all, be on the lookout for people that are active in the community and actively helping people out and um, that are participating in, in, in weekly discussions because these are the people that you can know for a fact that they know what they're doing. 
and they will perform great. Decentralization certainly been a hot topic within the graph community recently. There was a post in the forum by Oliver about some ideas, starting some conversation about keeping stake decentralized. I had Chris Ramos on the podcast, also an indexer at the graph, who has a great emphasis on keeping stake decentralized. What's your opinion on this topic? Yeah, I mean, decentralization is one of the most important aspects of the blockchain. This is why crypto was created in the first place. So we should be aware of certain certain patterns that occur in many other different uh, different protocols and try to learn from that and try to protect the network in a way that it, it doesn't become centralized. Because if you if you only have 10 or 15 indexers that control 80% of the network, then you don't have anything more than just another hosted service just run by a bunch of randos all over the globe, 10 or 15 randos. That is not just a single server, but that's still not decentralization, right? Because half of them started working together with malicious intents. Uh, they can seriously impact not just uh, just a bunch of people in the protocol, but like whole applications that rely on set data. And uh, this is not something that we want to have happening in the network, right? Hi, this is Payne from StakeSquid, and I'm an indexer on the graph. If my conversation with the GRTIQ podcast has been helpful for you, then please consider supporting future episodes by becoming a subscriber. Visit grtiq.com slash podcast for more information. That's grtiq.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening. Payne, how would you address the issue of decentralization at the graph. I mean, I obvi- I understand it's an important topic. It's certainly at the top of a lot of people's minds right now. What are the mechanisms that you would want to see implemented to ensure that stake is kept decentralized? Right. So I think, first of all, you should think, you should put yourself in the boots of a regular Joe that doesn't know or doesn't care about decentralization and just opens the page and sees big numbers and uh, clicks a button on the biggest number, right? Because big number, good. So I think, first of all, we should address the way that data is displayed on on the Explorer. Right now, it's I think it's ordered by self-stake. So if you look on, if you, if you, if you open the uh, Graph Explorer, you'll see basically that I don't know, the first 10 or 15 indexers have control over like 80 or 70% of the delegation market right now. So uh, that's one of the first things that I would I would do. It's definitely not enough or the the people that are currently delegating won't uh, re-delegate just because we changed the number, the order number in the uh, in the ui but at least it helps for future delegators that uh, want to take a decision um in the same forum post i think oliver uh, pointed out a very nice little detail uh solana beach for example has the um the, the the first x number of of validators uh hidden in a way that you have to click a button to see them 
and you'll see the rest of the people where you can delegate without contributing to further centralization of the network, which is uh, one of the one of the best ideas that I've seen so far in the the way that people display data of the network, which is really nice to see. Other things that I would do, I think Chris had a great idea, which I also had a, a while ago, which was having some sort of dynamic delegation cap. Right now, everyone in the network is um, limited to 16 times their own stake, basically. So that people that self-stake the 100 million GRT can basically eat up um, a quarter of the entire supply uh, of the network in their own delegation, which is <laughs> really concerning. You, you only need four of those people to basically have the whole network centralized onto uh, for entities, if everyone delegates to them. And uh, one of the ideas was to uh, have this 16 times ratio dynamic based on how much own stake you have. The more you have, the less delegation capacity you'll have. So that would eventually limit, in a way, decentralization, one of the centralization pain points, basically. I hope. <laughs> We'll see. We'll see if that even gets implemented. I hope it does. So I think it's important, Payne, to emphasize the responsibility delegators have when it comes to helping keep stake decentralized. How would you help delegators think through their role in this important issue? Yeah, so I think delegators should uh, keep in mind that having a lot of self-stake in the network doesn't always mean that uh, those indexers actually know what they're doing. I don't want to. <laughs> I want. I don't want to call names. But yeah, uh, this this rule is definitely uh, applying in the current uh, in the current time. And the 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 idea is that you are contributing to the network uh, more than you think so because like delegators have strengthening numbers. There aren't so many people that know how to run indexers, so they will be delegators instead. And yeah, even though we do want a lot of indexers on the network, we won't have as many indexers as delegators in the network, which is uh, something to keep in mind. We need delegators to, to be aware of the centralization risks and uh, take action of, uh, in, in that way. At the time of this recording, there's, I believe, 159, 160 indexers at the graph. As you think about the future of the graph and the indexer community, how much more do you think it grows? I mean, how big does that number get? Well, we have 7 billion GRT that is not delegated or in, used in the network right now. So there's definitely room to, uh, to grow. Um, the more indexers, the better. The more delegators, the better. The more curators, the better. Because especially on the indexer side, you, the, the more indexers we have, the more redundant the whole network is. If one goes down, we have like 500 more to take its place, right? What's been your experience, both as someone that is very technically involved in the graph, but also running indexers at the graph? What's been your experience with the new core development teams with Streaming Fast and Figment? So I can talk about Streaming Fast because I had tons of interactions with them and with their funders. They're really great guys. They're building something 
that will really, really revolutionize the way the graph works and will work in the future. And um, I'm super excited to get their technology properly implemented into the network. I don't know how to explain in, in simple terms, but it's it's a difference in night and day in the way it works compared to um, the way the graph node works today. And we need to find basically a middle ground in the way that these changes get implemented in the graph node so that it's compatible uh, with the current subgraphs on the network and it's also compatible with the uh, network itself and how the indexes are running it. Um, it's a very complex matter. It's, it, it'll be a very um, nice year coming to us and in, in watching those development integrated in the currently working uh, product. And I also wanted to point out that Streaming Fast has recently open sourced their uh, software where part of it, they're in the, in, in the process of open sourcing everything. And I highly encourage uh, if we have any indexers listening to the podcast to give it a shot and uh, see how it works because this is the future and uh, we, we better be prepared to, to learn how things work. So that we don't have any surprises when when it comes later, and uh, we will be needed to uh, run it. Same as with uh, Erigon nodes, Erigon being um, a Ethereum client that we're currently trying to find out if there are any bugs and uh, things that need to be fixed. Payne, I want to ask you because of your technical background and involvement with the graph, as well as Stake Squid's involvement with a lot of different networks. What do you think is the long-term potential or impact of the graph? Well, one of the reasons why we're so happy to be involved in the graph is that it's always so such a dynamic environment with so potentially so many chains that someone would interact with. So I think graph's future is very bright simply because uh, if you think of how many people are using it today, just imagine expanding to all the other chains that exist, for example, Polkadot, Nia, Solana, and so on, having all the other developers um, running things on the graph uh, or with the help of the graph. So my vision for the graph is that it's going to be amazing and it's going to be used by everyone else. And the vision of StakeSquid is that we need to be part of the rest of the networks to learn how to operate them when it comes the time to run those nodes for the graph as um, archive nodes. If listeners want to learn more about you or the things you're doing at StakeSquid, what's the best way to stay in touch? Hit me up on Discord. It's, I'm, I'm there 12 hours a day at least. I always do my best to answer DMs. Uh, if, not, if I don't answer your DM just right again, I will eventually. I'm... I'm trying my best to answer it within the same hour <laughs> when I got the DMs, but sometimes I click the, I'm clicking the icons and uh, with the uh, thinking that I will reply in a bit and then I forget. So I'm very sorry uh, if that happened to, to anyone. Just hit me up again and I'll, I'll reach back. This has been a production of the GRT IQ podcast. For more information, including detailed show notes, visit grtiq.com slash podcast. 
That's grtiq.com slash podcast. Please consider contributing to this project and helping build the community by subscribing and leaving a review. G-R-T-I-Q podcast. Roger that.